and welcome to episode three of Have You Seen? My name's Tom Webb. And I'm Kieran Lefort. Each week, Tom and I will pitch each other a film that we like and hope the other one will like too. And then the week after that, we discuss them. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's that's it. <laughs> I don't know why you think that's so funny. I don't either. Um, yeah, let's go. Uh, last week, I pitched Tom Lost in La Mancha, which is a documentary following Terry Gilliam's ill-fated attempt to make a Don Quixote film in 2000. Um, and that's probably really all that needs to be said about it. So, let's, uh, let's, in, in the spirit of keeping things moving, what did you think of Lost in La Mancha? Um, it's really it's, it's really an odd film because it's kind of like watching a ninety-minute car, very slow-motion car crash. Yes, I can understand that. And it's, I, I'm amazed, absolutely stunned that it even that the, the production of the film even got as far as it did. It seemed like everything was against Terry Gilliam and you just watch his whole world crumbling away from him as mm. it's going on and it seemed to me that it was just everybody and everything was a compromise Yeah, and because it was compromises upon compromises upon compromises suddenly the scheduling all became incredibly tight and it, just, it was just clear that it was, I mean, it was never going to happen it was never going to work the way he wanted to do it and um, I think it was uh, there's a point in the movie where the cinematographer actually says the trouble is that uh everyone had to compromise on the budget but terry didn't compromise on the vision and what we were going to achieve um which you can kind of understand with terry gilliam because that's what he does and yes you know terry gilliam's not a man known for holding back his imagination or holding back his vision no exactly and that's one of the things that i came away from this film realizing was that it's almost like Terry Terry Gilliam's imagination should be it should be like a listed building or a or, or like a heritage site. It's yes. something that should be preserved because it's so unique, and it's almost a shame that people wouldn't just give him the money to make the film just because of a, it needs you know you need to record his imagination for history. It's that he's, kind of thing. He's got the kind of mind that you just want to attach a video recorder to. Well, exactly. Yeah. I want to see what's going on in his head in general. Yeah, and so. You know, it is. You do feel really sorry for him, but, but at the same time, you know, everything is spiralling out of control. And I think, you know, like the film does address a little bit about his reputation that he gets this reputation for not being able to control things and just things spiralling out of control. Hmm. But I think what exacerbates that view of him is the subject of his movies and the style of his movies, because. You see him, and he's quite a frenetic character, and he's always bubbling, and he's always talking. He's a man with a lot of energy. Yeah, and it's just got a full go. And when he's talking about a windmill that's a giant ogre and an old man on a horse is trying to joust it and stuff like that, he just he sounds like a complete nutter. <laughs> but if he was, if if things were crumbling on a drama where it's two people in a room talking about a divorce, and he had that same passion and whatever people would probably understand it more and not mm. see him as being out of control i think part of the fact it's so weird is that it stops pe- people don't get it and I, th- I think that was one of the things in the movie that you really see is that no one really understands his vision and what he's trying to achieve with the exception of the actors interesting like all the producers and the people that they're looking at it like any other movie but anytime he's describing a scene or he's describing what he wants most of the technical side of it and they're just thinking about the technical 
how do we achieve that mm. and the money people are thinking how do how, do how we, can we afford how, that how can we afford that but the actors just get it they just, like particularly johnny depp he just switches on and and suddenly you know that johnny depp and terry gilliam are imagining the same thing in their minds and they can see it and it so it kind of i think it's a it really shows that people don't really necessarily see the world in the same way and yeah. perhaps if the producers were a bit more creative or perhaps some of the technicians were a bit more creative they might have understood it more and might have been able to they might have been able to achieve more and compromise less on certain things or they, it might have been a bit different yeah artistic people can see what he's getting at but kind of more financially and practically minded people perhaps not so much yeah yeah exactly and it's one of those things that um you know we both come from a more creative background mm. um but even though watching this documentary i was still thinking to myself my god how did anyone think that that was ever going to work you know even though i would be the, the the person with the artistic vision wanting something to happen i think i, I still think you'd see that it just wasn't wasn't going to happen mm. I, so that for me is that i find that a bit weird is that it actually got so far and they actually started shooting and before things were finalized and that that seemed quite weird to me we live in a world it's not really acknowledged as much it's very rarely acknowledged actually but a lot of hollywood films go into production without a completed script so i can kind of understand why things went ahead before certain elements were finalized that is true yeah that is true yeah I know, yeah, I know lots of things do get revised on the on the fly. Oh, very, pretty much yeah. everything with a uh, with an eight-figure budget yeah. gets revised yeah. as I, you go. You have a writer on the set doing rewrites as you go. The cast have input, the director has input, the producers have input. Yeah, uh, th- and whoever's credited as a screenwriter is very rarely the actual screenwriter. Yeah, I think I think one of the prime examples of that fairly recently where they kind of admitted afterwards that it didn't actually pan out quite as well as they'd hoped because they didn't really have a script in place was Transformers 2. Um, Jesus, any of those films. Yeah, and I mean, that, but particularly think, that one. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that 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 was one of the few times I've ever heard people admit it. Mm. Um, but no, one of the other things I was going to say was that I think part of the downfall also was a massive cultural difference between the Hollywood money, or no, actually no, it wasn't Hollywood money. That's that's wrong uh, because it was European money, but the Hollywood production style. So everything tightly scheduled and everything working, but having a predominantly European crew, and I think there's a, there is a predominantly difference. European non-English speaking crew or yeah. English as a second language crew. That's true. So I think there was m- room for misinterpretation through language, but also I think on the continent and over here, things are more relaxed in terms of schedules. I think there's always a you know people you know people have a much more re- relaxed attitude towards time and i think that also caught them out for example there's a scene where uh they're shooting where were they shooting they were shooting in spain weren't yeah, they, they were shooting see spain. that's not a country known for its timekeeping no, and, and its scheduling abilities they uh they were filming this scene where um johnny depp's character is in like a chain gang he's kind of in these uh, weird manacles with a whole group of people yeah and uh, a, the key, i think it's the key falls on the floor and they all have to dive on it and stuff like that yeah and and terry gilliam's just like what the hell's going on why why isn't this rehearsed and what why isn't this hmm. going on and they'd done the rehearsals without the extras that were actually in the manacles because yeah. no one had thought to get them along and it just seemed like Okay, that seems really odd, and they just assumed, you know, oh, they, you know, they'd have a bit of time to figure it out on mm. the day, and which they just didn't. 
Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a, it's a, it's a horrible thing to watch, but fascinating at the same time because, mm. you, like I said before, you just see everything crumbling away and crumbling away. It makes you wonder how many other projects there are out there that have fallen apart in this way that we don't get to hear about. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think, like I said, it's, it would be rare that they'd actually get to this state, that amount of shooting, mm. and, and fall apart. But um, I think you said in the last episode that you felt like we might have been robbed by a classic, and I think you're right. I don't know if classic is well, the right word. I think it would have been a very interesting and yeah. entertaining film. I, th- I think well, it I would think be it w- the usual uneven Terry Gilliam kind of yeah, but I think it, of fancy. It would have been one of the like one of his top films. I think it would have been quite high up there with hmm. you know Brazil and Twelve Monkeys and Fear and Loathing, hmm. but. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see what the finished film would have been like, and I, I suspect you get I a just, tiny glimpse in the documentary. There's like yeah. half a dozen yeah. maybe finished shots that they've edited into the film. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think he will ever go back to it. He has. Oh, really? Not that version, but the last I heard, Terry Gilliam had secured funding to try again and make another Quixote film. Oh, really? Yeah. He is determined he's going to make a Don Quixote film. Excellent. That, that'll be good, because I, I would love to see it. I wonder if... I don't think Johnny Depp is still attached. Right. Uh, John Rochefort is now far too old. Yeah. Um, he, was far, a, he was probably too old then. He was 70-something, uh, or I think he was 70, on 70. I think he was yeah. 71 then. He must be, I think he was in yeah, his yeah. late 80s now. I did, I did like the, early, uh, early 80s. the absurdity of a Frenchman who spent seven months learning English to play a Spaniard. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But again, he he absolutely got what Terry, Terry Gilliam was mm. going for, like Johnny Depp did. Mm. Um, well, the, the name I had heard attached was Robert Duvall. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I could see that working, actually. Mm. Yeah, I really could see that working. I wonder if, it, you know, if the film he makes would be... It, it would be interesting to know, which we never will, mm. which one would have been better. Yeah. Well, now you're looking, you're, you're ten years on, and yeah. look, think of the advancements in special effects. That's true. I suppose uh, they could achieve a lot of it cheaper through CGI. Quite possibly. Um, Although knowing Terry Gilliam, he'd probably go would want to go the practical route. Yeah, absolutely. Which I th- I think for something like you know, he does would look better. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, which is kind of one of the last ones he did. So, and I mean, that was beset by the death of his lead actor. So yes. he's not, I mean, he's had a... See, now there's a film that needed to be rewritten on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked a lot about the uh, the potential of, uh, of the Quixote film. What about uh, your opinion on the documentary as a whole? We've talked about the film within the film, but not the actual film. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, I found... Uh, what, the documentary is interesting... Uh, I love Jeff Bridges' voiceover. He sounds like he's just laying on a sofa yeah, with a absolutely. microphone suspended over him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very like, kind of laid back, and it's really good. You know, and it's, it is funny in places. The whole, like you said last time, the whole giant casting thing. It's just three ridiculous. like five foot six inch fat yeah. Spanish guys with their shirts off. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's one of those things I. When when you see some of the shots that they actually shoot with these guys, the test shots, they they just even though they're using low angles and all that kind of stuff, they just don't look like giants yeah. at all. And it, I I I would love to know what the next step in the process was going to be to make them look like giants. 
overall, it is quite sad to watch, but there are funny moments in it, mm. and it's, it, is, it is really good to watch. Um, the, the two things I thought about is I probably would have given up on day two when they had the horrendous storm. Yeah. I th- I th- for me, that was the point at which they would go, you know what, we've done one and a half days' worth of shooting. This is not going to... Let's just... Qu- Claim the insurance, yeah, car losses, yeah, go home. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and the other was, I would not want to be a first AD. I, that's what I was going to say. The guy I feel most sorry for yeah. is not Terry Gilliam. It's that poor first AD. Yeah, I mean, basically, his job on the movie was to schedule everything and to basically be the, the point man yeah. to make it all work. And through no fault of his own, he effectively... Became, Shoulders the blame. Yeah, he's the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Ba- basically, uh, he's the guy that everyone says we need to fire him because he's supposed to be in charge of all this stuff. Mm. When nothing he could have done would have helped. No. You know, he did a, an, a, an incredible job to get the schedule to work. I mean, it's a massive binder of dates and times yeah. and when things have to be done by. And, I, I mean, the amount of work that he must have put in, yeah, I, I would not want his job ever. If you take away anything from this episode, kids, it's never be a first AD. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think the final... Uh, point I was going to bring up on this is that it is doomed to fail and what I found really interesting is that everybody knows that throughout the entire documentary everybody is is saying this is going to collapse and everybody knows that it's going to dissolve at some point and again I don't know why they didn't quit when they were earlier ahead but they just know it's going to fall apart and people are saying this is chaos. This is ridiculous. This mm. is this is never going to work. This is chaos. And I just thought, you know, that I mean that attitude probably doesn't help. No, either. probably not. No. But um yeah, it was just it was just really odd that everyone had that kind of attitude. They just knew it was going to fail. And and you could tell right from the beginning of the documentary it was never going to get finished. Uh just simply because of the way people were talking about the whole project. But um definitely worth a watch if you're interested in filmmaking as a whole and the process of filmmaking it is fascinating to see things go wrong because you never really see that at all and i think i think it is a you know for film fans it's a really really good watch and uh, i guess kind of uh, kind of psychologically look at it, it's it's a portrait of a madman screaming into abyss yeah absolutely <laughs> just yeah. everything falls apart around him. yeah so anyway that's enough for lost in la mancha uh, what did you think of airport well, to set it up, before I, uh, before I tell you what I thought of Airport, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about what Airport is? Okay, yeah, sure. It's, um, it was a film that created the disaster movie genre, uh, set in an airport which is besieged by snow. The, the main incident that gets the ball rolling is a plane coming off of the runway onto the taxiway gets stuck in the snow, and um, you see all the various people within the, within the airport trying to sort out that problem whilst other problems mount up. It's got a huge cast and there are lots of storylines going on. Um, and it is very much a classic uh, disaster movie. You know, it's like Towering Inferno and that kind of stuff. It's, it's got that kind of feel. So, come on, tell me what you thought. Well, it's interesting. You said last week that um, you thought it was the perfect kind of Sunday afternoon film. Yeah. I did not end up watching it on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I ended up watching yeah. it on a Monday night. Right. Yeah, it's uh, not a good Monday night movie. No, it's not a very good Monday night movie. <laughs> uh, and on top of that, I'm trying to pay attention to it and take notes for right. this because I hate to shatter the illusion, listeners. We don't just come in here and talk about this stuff off the top of our heads. We watch movies. We take notes. Yeah. Um, and I got bored. Okay. 
It's long. Yeah. It's slow. Yeah. I felt it was slower than the Andromeda Strain. Okay, really? Which, That's as surprising, said, yeah. Which, as you said, was the B picture that ran before yeah. Airport as the A picture. Absolutely, yeah. I think if I'd have paid money and gone and seen the double bill, yeah. I'd have left after the Andromeda Strain. Okay, that's Because I enjoyed that a lot more than this. Right, yeah. I'm not suggesting this is bad. Right. But it just, it didn't hold my attention. And actually what I found was when my mind wandered and I wasn't paying attention to it and taking notes, I was enjoying it a lot more. Does that yeah. make any sense? It absolutely makes sense, yeah. Because yeah. that's the thing, that, that's why I said it was a perfect Sunday afternoon movie. Because it's the sort of thing you would lounge yeah. in front of and just let... You, you, you just sit in front of it. You don't really watch yeah. it. It just happens in front of you. I think it was the wrong film for this podcast. Okay. Because if I... For this, I pay attention and I take notes. Yeah. And what I needed to do was put this film on, do my washing, do my washing up, yeah. check my emails, tidy up the flat, occasionally sit down for 20 minutes and watch what's going on and carry on pottering around. Yeah, absolutely. Not noticing that it's taking two and a half hours yeah. Yeah. to quite frankly get nowhere there's a lot of stuff that doesn't happen yeah yeah i mean you get half an hour in and essentially another film starts where you meet an entirely new character who then has a big bearing on the actual plot of the film uh, yeah yeah you're right uh, the, the bomber guy uh, yes. what's his name uh, guerrero guerrero uh, yeah. yeah yeah that was the, the aspect the least hispanic looking guerrero i've ever <laughs> seen in my life well that, that yeah i know that was the uh <laughs> that was the aspect of the plot that I didn't want to give away last week um, mm. was the fact that uh, okay, I talked about um, Burt Lancaster's character who manages the airport and his marriage is uh, disintegrating yeah, around yeah. him and him coping with that and I talked about the little old lady who's the comic relief yes. story um, what I didn't talk about was Dean Martin uh, who has got one of the air stewards pregnant Yes, uh, and their flight to Rome is actually the target of a bomber and the guy with the bomb is essentially just committing suicide in an insurance scam for his wife yes um and i left all of that out uh just because that's kind of the the exciting bit that you know any surprises are going to come it's in within that storyline as it were i wasn't really surprised or excited by it right okay um i know it's it's long and it's slow yeah i didn't feel any of that was building tension it just felt long and slow right okay um Things that did surprise me, yeah. well, the thing that really surprised me is to talk about abortion in a movie made in 1969 in America. Yeah, that's true, yeah. They don't actually mention the word, no, no. but there are, there's more than one discussion about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and it's almost, you know, it's just like, should we take care of this sort of thing? It's yeah, just quite, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is it's quite, not quite here's a co-hanger. <laughs> no, you know, it, is, it is a bit, um, yeah, it, it's not as cryptic as you would think. no. The other thing, I guess it's not necessarily a surprise, but it's one moment that I was not expecting, and it kind of tugged the heartstrings a little bit, yeah. is where uh, it's, a, it's that same storyline, the, the Dean Martin and Jacqueline Bissett storyline, yes. where she gets injured. There's an explosion on the plane. Yeah. I do this every week. That I, I give away a plot spoiler <laughs> of a 40-year-old movie. They, yeah. That could become my thing. Um, uh, the she, the, the, the bomber guy, they try and take the bomb off him, which they show in the trailer... Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't watched know. the trailer really? afterwards. Yeah, the trailer is three and a half minutes long. It's hilarious. It mentions the title six times, <laughs> and it's narrator telling you about how all these amazing stars are playing these amazing characters right. in this amazing adaptation of an amazing book. Right. Um, yeah, they show in the trailer that the the bomber uh, they try and snatch the bomb, but he bolts out of his seat into into the toilet, 
yeah. and pulls the pin and uh, um, forcibly ejects himself through the side of the plane. Yeah. Um, the stewardess made pregnant by Dean Martin, not in that explosion, obviously, because that'd be really weird. Um, <laughs> she's <laughs> injured in the explosion. Yeah. Um, and at the end, when the plane safely lands, plot spoiler, um, uh, you see people disembarking in the airport mm-hmm. and she's brought out on a stretcher and he's walking with her and holding her hand. Yeah. And in the background of one of the shots is his wife. Yes. She says nothing. No. But the look on her face of her completely understanding that she's not going to be with this man anymore and why and yeah. that he actually loves the woman whose hand he's holding yeah. and her acceptance of that yeah. is heartbreaking and I absolutely was not expecting no. that moment or to feel that when I saw it. No, what's interesting is they actually foreshadow that moment. You see Dean Martin's wife earlier on talking to Burt Lancaster and he, you do, she, yes. she kind of intimates that she knows that he has affairs with the stewardesses and and she just accepts that as part she of has their a, marriage. She kind of, she kind of has a line that says you know, uh, um, one day I know he'll be coming home for good. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's along those lines. Yeah. That's not an exact quote. I can't remember what it was, but yeah. yeah. And and it, it, the implication is that he has his affairs, and she kind of does her thing potentially. You know, maybe with the pool boy. Yeah, and it's it's kind of that. It's that sort of seventies relationship where, where free love, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's just an accepted part of the marriage. Uh, and I think you're what what you also you didn't mention is before they disembark, she overhears some paramedics saying we've got a woman coming off she's pregnant uh we've got to make sure she gets the right blood types and we've got to be really careful with her Mm. or something along those lines um and that's when the next thing you see is him coming out holding her hand and and you see her realize that she's pregnant and he's the father and that's all in that moment you're talking about. And mm. I think you're right. It does come across as an incredibly strong moment you're not quite expecting. Yeah, I, I, I missed the previous moment you were talking about, right. mostly because I got the actress who played uh, Dean Martin's wife confused with the actress who played the bomber's wife. Yes, yeah, they, they are a bit similar. Look yeah. Kind of similar. And because you haven't seen Dean Martin's wife for a good two hours. No, she has turns up in one scene at the beginning yeah. and one scene at the end. Yeah, you kind of forget she exists, really, until yeah. that moment. You see her face, you go, oh, no, that's her, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Uh, well, our, our main man is Burt Lancaster, yeah. who plays Mel, mm-hmm. who's a very put-upon man. Absolutely. We talked about how put-upon Ip Man was in <laughs> yeah. episode one. This guy is pretty much, uh, yeah. you know, it's the same thing, you know, uh, ma- married to the job, yeah, kind of absolutely. neglecting the wife, yeah. uh, um, along with secretly in love with his assistant. Yes, yeah. Um, which, again, is something else that's allowed to develop. Um, yeah, that kind of I, so I find that develops quite subtly, and then there's kind of a key scene quite near the end where where it becomes more apparent. No, I felt I felt it earlier than that, oh, much really? earlier than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like it's going on quite subtly, and I thought this is you know being quite subtly well handled. And there's a moment where she's standing facing the camera, and he comes up behind her and yeah. just grabs her shoulders. Oh, okay. That sounds like he's going to attack her or something, but that's yeah. not what happens. She's kind of having a bit of a stress out, and it's just like a comforting, yeah, just, just a hand on each shoulder, yeah. and that's it. And there's, it was that moment, mm. at that moment, I realised that their story was going to develop as well. Yeah, yeah. And that was the moment when it stopped being subtle. Yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. I would say that's a fair point. What did you think of the uh, the story involving the little old lady? She, uh, uh, the stowaway little old lady gets all of the best lines. Absolutely. Uh, she, uh, my, 
my favorite star. Yes, my favorite being, have you stowed away on L- other airlines? Oh, yes, but I like yours the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she knows all the schedules of all of the flights. Yeah. It's like, why, why are you on a flight to Rome? Because, well, when you inevitably send me back, I want to go to New York, and your first flight back out of Rome goes to New York. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that to get where she wants to go, she's quite happy to sit on a transatlantic flight twice and yes. get, effectively get deported from a country just, just so she doesn't have to pay the fare. Yeah. There, there, she does she does have some beautiful moments in it that are just played so brilliantly um uh, there, there's another scene where um she goes through her purse uh it was um gene seberg's character is is berating her for for doing this and mm. trying to tell her off and make her see the error of her ways and she's like, how do you do this? And she says, well, sometimes I just pull out a man's wallet. And she pulls a man's wallet out of her bag and she holds it up and says, and I just say that my son's forgotten his wallet and he's on the flight and I have to run on. And she runs on the plane and just stays there. And as she's doing and showing her little props she uses, you know, Gene Seberg's just taking them off. Yeah, of her. yeah. And it takes like after two, she suddenly cottons on that she's being robbed of all of her little tricks. So she starts stuffing them back in her back. And it's just, yeah. there was just some little moments like that, which are you know work really really nicely. Mm. Uh, it is just a big ad for the Boeing seven hundred and seven, yeah. including lines along the line of "It's a good job this plane was built so well." It's a good job <laughs> Boeing built such amazing aircraft, <laughs> oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think almost in the first one, Petroni's character is basically the the Boeing spokesman. Yeah, I didn't warm to him as much as I would do, although I did roar with laughter at his introduction, okay. which is uh, which is Burt Lancaster on one side of the screen on the phone, yeah, and the phone rings in Petroni's house, and he slides in in split screen, and he's got his wife in, in an embrace, yeah, and it's obviously it's going to be a night of wild passion for the Petronis, and then he answers the phone, and that's all over. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say you didn't warm to him as much as you would have liked, um, because maybe i do because his character does kind of develop over the next three movies yeah um in this one he's he's kind of like a, a ground crew mechanic and like really sort of in airport 79 the concord which is the worst of the films which i have a note about but carry on is really really bad petroni's the pilot uh, he does mention in this one that he has flown other planes. Yeah. But and that he's in this one he's licensed to taxi, isn't he? Yeah, yeah that's the thing, because, I mean, airline pilots, they have to be licensed for each different yeah, aircraft, yeah. and it's very rare that they're licensed for more than one. Mm. Um, but, no, I just thought it was, a really, it was really weird that, you know, in the first one he's, you know, he's fairly a mechanic, and then by the end of it he's, like, flying Concorde. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, his character does kind of develop over the others. And, and you know, I think it's, you know, the, the whole... You know, I'm drawing from the whole of that. Which yeah, 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 you mentioned Airport 79. Yeah, and I said uh, last week that I thought Airport 80 was the last one. Yeah, in a lot of Europe, it wasn't released until 1980, and it was called Airport 80. Oh, really? Yeah, in places like Germany and France, <laughs> and that Fair kind enough. of thing. So I was half right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still, I still think that the whole loop, the loop missile attack thing on Concorde is just utterly ridiculous. We might not cover that film. No, we might not. We might cover Airport. 75 and 77 though can we space them out a bit yeah yeah we will yeah um do you know what talking about this film Mm -hmm. i'm enjoying it yeah far more than i did watching it yeah i i can your comment at the the beginning of this you you said that you needed to just relax and watch it watch it i can that's why i said it It was a perfect sunday afternoon movie Mm -hmm. and i and i I can tell you as you're thinking about it you're remembering bits you enjoyed about it and what you liked about it and i yeah i can see that you probably did enjoy it more than you thought you did. 
there are a couple. I have a couple of small notes. Yeah. Uh, um, one, there's a, a line in the trailer. Right. Well, they, they describe each character, and it describes the old lady yeah. in these exact terms as the mind-boggling, huggable, perpetual stowaway. <laughs> it sums it up pretty yeah, well. They're just, just described as mind-boggling and huggable in the same sentence. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, mind-boggling is a bit of an odd choice of words. Yes, it is uh, as well. We talked previously, we talked about uh, the editing and optical yeah. effects mm. in Andromeda Strain. Yeah. There are one or two in this that are really good as well. Yeah. There's a bit where um, the Bakersfelds, Mel and his wife, uh, Bert Lancaster and his wife, are having an argument. That's right, yeah. And over that argument, you get to see footage of previous yeah. arguments. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. That's really clever. Yeah, it's a really nice, it's a really nice way of doing a montage. Mm. Um, and it, it really gives you an insight into their marriage. Yeah. And it's it, perfect, it sums up a relationship perfectly in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really, really, really well done. The uh, the other good optical effect is when they are trying to track down Guerrero the bomber. Right. They get, they've kind of got the they've kind of got the hint that there is this there is this guy on the plane. Yes. He uh, he means to cause trouble mm-hmm. in some way, and they phone the uh, insurance desk and also phone the security. Yes. And there's this brilliant five or six way split screen. It's only on yeah. screen for a few seconds with. Four or five security guards, each yes. in their own shot, and a shot of the insurance desk. Yeah, and then they all, they all slide out of the way, and the phone call to the insurance desk continues. Yeah, with yeah. a shot of the girl at the desk taking the phone call. Yeah, it's kind of it's got like an, something like an episode of Thundercats, where where, bit, they, yeah. where they're all kind of suddenly called to to, to Lionel, and they all go ah, and you see the little cartoon. It's kind of like that. It's a bit, a bit of a weird analogy, I suppose. But I never thought Thundercats get discussed when we're talking about airports. <laughs> no, and that's not the only instance of the multiple split screen. Um, that's probably the most dynamic looking use of yeah. it. Um, but then there's also the conversation where uh, Mel calls home to let his wife know that he's not going to make it back in time for their dinner party. But the daughter answers the phone and then it becomes this like three or four way conversation yes. with him, his wife and the daughters. And yeah. they kind of pop into the screen here and there. And I didn't like his wife at all. No. Well, the character's a horrible to, bitch and she can't act either. <laughs> the actress is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, she's... Well, I think that's one of the things is that effectively that marriage is disintegrating because of him. Yeah. But you've got to be on his side and you've got to feel sorry for him. And mm. I think the only way to do that is to make her utterly horrible. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you just not really relate to him at all and it would draw away from the... You wouldn't sympathise with his problems at work then, I think, mm. if you didn't like him. There's one thing. This movie is quite obviously dated. Yeah, yeah. And there's one moment that really, really dates it. Right. I burst out laughing and I wrote in all caps with multiple exclamation marks on my notepad. Right. The pilot is smoking a f***ing pipe. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the thing I was trying to get across last week that I, I, I'm not sure if I did or not, was the fact that it is better to see this now after Airplane because it's slightly dated and yeah, yeah. and you can laugh uh, there are points you laugh with it and points you laugh mm. at it and it's equally enjoyable to do to do both yeah um, which is why I like it and why it's a Sunday afternoon movie because it is you know it is pretty silly there's a shot of a guy smoking a cigarette in the cabin and I thought yeah. oh, I remember the days when you could smoke on a plane and then it cuts to the cabin and the pilot's got a pipe on the go and that I'd lost it yeah <laughs> Well, it, I know I know you had a, a trouble watching it 
closely, but it does sound like you enjoyed the movie. Uh, there was pl- there's I'm plenty of stuff that. to enjoy in it. Yeah, it's very slow, and if you want to get the most out of it, don't pay attention to it. Have it on while you're doing other things. That's the way to get the most out of airport, I think. Yeah, absorb it, don't watch it. How very um, perceptive of you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Um, I shall uh, pitch you a movie now for for next week. Okay. Um, I know I've I've kind of bombarded you with movies from the seventies and the sixties so far. I say yes. bombarded; it's been three, but yes. you know, um, it's enough. Yeah. Uh, so I've decided to come a bit more up to date. Uh, we're now in two thousand and nine, so fairly recent. Um, uh, I, I'm checking the date on my watch um, <laughs> now. Right. I'm going to pitch you uh, a comedy, a recent comedy, which I really enjoy. And I think uh, it's unusual to get good comedies nowadays. I think they're quite few and far between. Um, it's called I Love You, Man. Okay. And uh, you'll probably be aware of it from all the trailers and stuff last, you know, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's basically, the, the story is essentially, there's a guy played by Paul Rudd called Peter Claven. And he proposes to his fiance, and they're getting preparing for the wedding. And he kind of realizes that he doesn't have any close male friends. He's mostly friends with women or her friends, and he just doesn't really have a, a guy that he can turn to, and he doesn't really have a best man. Um, so he decides that he needs to find a best mate, uh, and he effectively goes on a series of what they call man dates uh, to find someone to be best friends with. Okay. Um, it's it's really kind of interesting because it's basically a romantic. It's basically two romantic comedies rolled into one, and both storylines follow the conventions of a romantic comedy. So there's the romantic comedy of him getting married, and then his relationship with his best friend not going down too well with his wife, and then you know trying to resolve all of that. Yeah. And then there's the the romantic comedy of trying to find someone to love. Uh, except in this case it's just uh, another guy another guy that's a friend um and it kind of it kind of sounds like it could be done really really badly but this is done particularly well i think um it was directed by john hamburg and not a name you probably would have heard of i would think um i looked at when i was researching and making sure i had all my facts straight for the podcast i had a quick look at what else he'd done mm. and i think if i'd seen what the list of the, the two films that I'd heard of that he'd done, I probably wouldn't have watched this one. Uh, he wrote Meet the Parents and directed Along Came Polly. Oh, good God. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty... I mean, that would put me off. But it's not the greatest of CVs. It's not, it's not. But thankfully, this film stars Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, uh, Rashida Jones as the main kind of three, mm-hmm. all of whom are brilliant. But the supporting cast... Uh, is J.K. Simmons and uh, Jane Curtin as mm. uh, Paul Rudd's mother and father. John Favreau uh, plays the really horrible husband of one of his fiance's friends, uh, uh, and the friend is played by uh, Jamie Priest, uh, Presley, uh, who people will probably know from My Name Is Earl. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got a fantastic relationship, and John Favreau is just 
loving every second of just being horrible and you can just see <laughs> him enjoying it and you know he's got some fantastic lines uh andy sandberg from uh, saturday night live uh joe latruglio who people will probably most recently have seen in the simon pegnick frost movie paul um, who's he playing that he plays uh the agent that isn't bill hader okay or jason bateman right okay yeah, he's the little short guy yeah um it's got Lou Ferrigno in it. What? Uh, yeah, Lou okay. Ferrigno as himself. Okay. Which is brilliant. Every moment he's on screen is gold. Um, and Rush. Okay. It's, it's just fantastic. Does Paul Rudd just try and get the bands he likes, yeah, or references pretty, to the bands he likes into his movies? Pretty because much, yeah. there's all the Kiss stuff in, uh, in Role Models, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, I mean, this movie is made by the fact that the main two in it, Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, have, have really good chemistry together and they're both very funny, but they're supported by people who are also very funny. The line of the movie, in my opinion, comes from J.K. Simmons uh, okay. and it's one to watch out for. That basically, when it becomes apparent that Peter has no real male friends, he's at dinner at his parents' house. Andy Sandberg plays his brother who's gay. Uh, which brings a whole bizarre topic of conversations up. Um, and they're all sitting around the, the table and J.K. Simmons is describing Peter as a teenager and he has one of the best lines, well, possibly the best line of the movie. Okay. So it's worth keeping an eye out for that. It's probably not one we can repeat on the podcast, unfortunately. Although I but, might try next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what you think. We'll, 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 maybe we'll try because right. it is brilliant. Um, the other, the other moment to look out for, which is one of my favourites, which happens in a split second, is on uh, Peter's first... Well, Peter goes on a series of mandates, which don't go too well. Mm. Um, and then he, he basically, he's a property developer, and uh, Lou Ferrigno fits in because he's trying to sell Lou Ferrigno's house okay. for him. Uh, which is a, which is brilliant because every wall has one a poster of him as the Hulk and there's even a statue of him in the garden, <laughs> um, and he's doing an open house and he finds this guy eating uh, the canapes and it's Jason Segel and out front Jason Segel says look I just come because you got free food and it's a great way to pick up divorcees um, and they just start talking and they they arrange a mandate and on that first mandate it kind of divulges and there's a there's a kind of a little running joke of uh, the fact that Peter can't do impressions and they all sound like leprechauns. Right. And there's a brilliant moment where they both try to do an impression of Andre the Giant using uh, dialogue from The Princess Bride. And it, it just happens in a fleeting moment, but it's genius. Okay. Uh, particularly Jason Siegel. Okay. Uh, so that's another great moment to look out for. Um, yeah, there's some really good stuff. You know, they go to a Rush gig in the middle of it, which is brilliant. Uh because I like Rush, I think they're cool. Um, uh, and it was quite interesting that the band actually played an hour-long set for the cast and crew, and they just grabbed the shots they needed and then listened. Yeah. But, you know, knowing Rush, it was probably only like two songs, yeah, maybe yeah, three yeah. songs. Mm. Um, this was one of the key films that launched Jason Siegel's career, particularly. Uh, I think most people would have been aware of Paul Rudd beforehand, but I think after forgetting Sarah Marshall, then this, you know, basically those two movies have then propelled him to doing the Muppets movie, mm. which is going to come out uh, next Immediately. year. Immediately, yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's kind of fun. Then they kind of play with the conventions, the romantic comedies, and there's just you know it, it's um, like I said, it's it's 
not common to get a, a, a very well thought out and well scripted comedy these days and I think this, this does both I think it's quite a nice it's a well crafted comedy which I think are fairly rare well for you I also have a comedy oh right, okay a very different comedy okay um, if I say to you shall we dance you're probably thinking of Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez unfortunately yes yes well before that right. there was a Japanese film called shall we dance Okay. Which I will call Shall We Dance, so I don't sound like a pretentious prick for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> right. Um, made in 1996 yeah. um, by a man named Masayuki Suo, right. who was 29 at the time when he made this, mm-hmm. did not make another film until 2006. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, 10 years gap. Yep, 10 year gap. Um, it's the story of uh, um, your typical middle-aged Japanese salaryman, Mm. He's a 40, 41-year-old man, slightly drunk after a night out uh, on, his, on the train home. He's leaning up against the window, and he sees, a, he sees the window of a dance studio and a beautiful woman looking out the window, and he's, he's captivated. Right. But he still goes home to his wife and child. Again, he sees her again, and he thinks of uh, another day, and he thinks about getting off and doesn't. Right. The third time he come, the train comes along, he sees her, and he gets off the train, and he goes up to the dance studio, and he's kind of he's thinking about going in and thinking about going in and thinking about going in, and then he accidentally gets knocked through the door right. by someone else and ends up accidentally signing up for ballroom dance classes. <laughs> right. I'm quite, not quite sure how you accidentally do that, but yeah, he's a he's a he's bordering on depression. Right. He, he effectively. In terms, I guess, in terms of modern Japanese culture, he's got everything. He has, he has a wife, he has a child, he has a good job, mm-hmm. he has a house, he has a car. Right. He's, it, it, the, a point is made that he has just bought a house, right? As opposed to renting an apartment, which mm-hmm. is what tends to happen in Tokyo, right? Um, so he should have everything, but he's just not feeling it. He's got mm-hmm. there's no there's no outward joy in his life, okay? Uh, and his wife. Uh, uh, even says to, says to their daughter, "I want him to enjoy himself. He works mm-hmm. so hard and provides for us. I want him to enjoy himself." Right. So yes, he starts taking the ballroom dance classes. Um, his wife suspects he's having an affair when he starts coming home late uh, on Wednesday evenings, and he's he's not home at the weekend. And she hires a private investigator to follow him. Right. And that's probably about all I can tell you. Okay. Um, rewatching this, yeah, I had a smile on my face for two hours. Okay. Um. I'd forgotten. I saw this. This film was released in the UK on 18, 20 screens right. uh, in 1998. Mm-hmm. And I got to see it then. And I loved it then. Right. I managed to find it. It didn't get a big DVD release. I managed to get hold of the DVD. Okay. Uh, and I watched it once on DVD and I loved it again then. And I hadn't then seen it for, it must be a good five or six years, possibly longer since I've seen it. Right. And watching it again, it brought back to me just how much I love this film. Right. It's, is joyful all the way through i think okay um there are lots of laugh out loud moments mm-hmm. but the for the entire two hours i had a massive grin my face hurt <laughs> right. by the end of watching this because i've been smiling so much excellent um it's it gets kind of unfairly compared to strictly ballroom yeah um it's very different it, they're the, they're similar in that it's about ballroom dancing yeah uh, or ballroom dancing is the backdrop to the story yeah um if ballroom, if strictly ballroom is Australian fire and passion, yeah. this is sweet Japanese cherry blossom. Right, it's kind of the best way I can yeah. describe it. I kind it. of get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, things to look out for are 
the supporting cast. The right. supporting cast are superb. Okay. Everybody has their story. There's there's the beautiful one we see at the window. Mm-hmm. There is um, the older instructor who teaches the beginners class. Right. Um, who that woman does not stop smiling for the whole movie. <laughs> okay. Um, there is um, the the third woman at the dance studio is kind of um, she's kind of a bit pudgy, a bit surly, but she's uh, a, a good dancer and she's uh, she's determined to win competitions and that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and on the male side of the supporting cast, mm-hmm. these men are incredible. You'll right. love all of them. They are three men called Tanaka, who's an enormous, fat, sweaty man, right. who essentially, there is no other way he's going to meet women or get to be close to women. <laughs> but he's a lovely, sweet man. He's not like a pervert or anything like that. He's yeah. a lovely, sweet man. Right. Um, uh, who just gets tremendous joy from dancing. Yeah. Uh, Hattori, right. who is a man who was dragged to his uh, uh, dragged to dance socials by his wife. Yeah. And essentially, he's sneaking out to take dance lessons to get better so okay. he can surprise his wife and surprise the guy, the show-off guy who takes the, uh, takes the dance social, who heads yeah. up the dance socials. Right. And the absolute highlight is a man called Mr. Aoki, right. who works in... Uh, uh, I haven't named the lead character yet. No, you haven't. No, Mr. Sugiyama is the lead character. Right. And Mr. Aoki works in Mr. Sugiyama's office. Right. Uh, he is small, mm-hmm. balding, glasses, a complete dork. The women in the office think he's a bit of a pervert. Yeah. Um, he is, his character is fantastic in this film. Okay. Um, just, yeah. He starts off a bit weird, and at the end, you'll be rooting for him completely. Okay. He gets... He gets all of the best scenes I think right um, some hysterically funny moments yeah um, he's quite quite wonderful the other person to look out for mm-hmm. uh, I know I'm not going to out you as a fan but I know you've seen a fair bit of Strictly Come Dancing uh, yeah I, ha- I have seen it I watched it when it, I haven't watched it for a few years but I did watch it when it was early, early on yeah you'll sp- keep your eyes open because you'll see a tiny glimpse of Anton Dubeck oh right okay Interesting, and he's in the credit. He's credited in the credits as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say I have a little bit of experience of uh, ballroom dancing classes uh, because when my wife and I got married, we decided that for our first dance we'd want to do something entertaining and interesting, and we ended up doing a cha 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 to ACDC's "You Shook Me All Night Long." You did indeed. Yes, I um, remember it well. Which which was great fun. So and you know and I, so I've had a little bit of experience. I know uh, of you mm. know learning to waltz and. All that kind of stuff. Well, you will see. You will see people learning to waltz, excellent, and learning to cha cha. Okay, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it sounds really good. It, uh, like I said, it just brought me complete joy watching it again. Um, and in it, you will kind of learn. Learn's not the right word. You'll get an insight into kind of Japanese culture as well. Right. There's a, a voiceover at the beginning that says, "In Japan, ballroom dancing is kind of regarded with suspicion." Um, All right. Married couples don't link arms or hold hands when they're out mm-hmm. in the street. Um, dancing with your partner is too embarrassing, right. uh, and to dance with another is salacious and, and shameful. So, ballroom, anybody who's a ballroom dancer is a bit weird in Japan. Okay. It's kind of the uh, that's quite okay. I've never really thought about that. You know, you, you see it how in it the UK, it's this. a bit kind of a, a, almost a straight laced thing to do. But particularly well, ballroom, it's, it's a camp thing to do. I suppose, yeah, but yeah, I guess. But I mean, it depends. If you think about when when you say ballroom dancing, you tend to think of middle aged to slightly older people yes. doing it, and and it's quite straight and mm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. But you never kind of think of how that's interpreted 
by other culture. Mm. Interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting look at how a very Western thing fits in to a very Eastern culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are there are there's any number of wonderful scenes. Right. Um, any scene that features Mr. Alki and Mr. Sugiyama in a toilet. Right. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. I don't yeah. need to explain any more than that. Fine, okay. Uh, and the inevitable competition scene. Yeah. Um, uh, are just marvellous comic masterpieces. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's any any, any more I can say. Uh, again, this is another one. When I was rewatching, I didn't take an awful lot of notes because I was just enjoying it yeah, so that's much. Great. Okay. Um, well, you've certainly piqued my interest. Excellent. So. Excellent. It prope- on on this rewatching, it propelled itself up the list of my favourite films. It Excellent. may have launched itself into the top ten without oh, wow. too much difficulty. Excellent. Um, oh, that's good. Yes, I hope it brings you as much joy as it brought me. Cool. That I think will do for this week. Uh, we shall see you again next week, or we won't see anybody. Nobody will see. Anybody. I'll see Tom <laughs> sitting across from me with a pair of microphones between us. But you, we will talk to each other, and you will hear us talking on episode four of Have You Seen next week. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at hys podcast. Yeah, so feel free to jump in. Let us know if you've seen any of the films, or if we've inspired you to see any of the films. Let us know what you thought of them. If you liked them, if you didn't like them, we're really keen to hear what people think and if they agree or disagree with us anybody anybody who wants to follow along this podcast is welcome if if you hear us talking about a film that you haven't seen uh we'd be interested to collect people's opinions and uh who knows we might we might read some out yeah particularly you can, if you amuse us yes uh i guess the invitation is to play along we also have a blog where we'll try and post relevant links and information such as uh, trailers for the movies or particular scenes that uh, enterprising people might have put on various video sharing websites legally or otherwise uh uh, you can find that at haveyouseenpodcast.wordpress.com. And we also have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash haveyouseen. Um, we're going to be posting similar stuff on there. Uh, we might even post a few outtakes on there. Should I say that? Well, I don't know. We don't make any mistakes. What are you talking about? Okay. No, no. <laughs> no such thing as an outtake. The the boy has clearly has had his brain affected. So uh, I think we should wrap this up for this week. Uh, We shall see you next week. And until then, I love you, man.